Well, dear friends, greetings to all of you in the name of our Lord Jesus. As I shared at the beginning, it truly is a joy for me to be here with you in worship and have the opportunity to speak to you today from, from God's Word. Having, having served now for three years as Bishop of the North American Lutheran Church, traveling to places, in most cases, where I've never been, and meeting people, in most cases, for the first time and probably never seeing them again, it's, it's a really nice change of, play, of pace to be back in a place where it feels comfortable leading worship and where I'm here uh, preaching once again from this pulpit. It's also fun for me to see some of what's been happening here in terms of the ministries and, and uh, uh, projects you have going uh, throughout the campus. The food pantry, from what I hear and see, is going strong. The focus on Bible readings and Bible reading and discipleship remains a priority. The preschool certainly appears to be growing, and after getting rid of the previous pastoral leadership in this place, you are finally making progress on some of the building pro renovations that we had been talking about for years. So it truly is good for me to be back here as well. Before turning to our message today, uh, allow me just a, a few moments to share a few words about what's happening in the North American Lutheran Church, a number of quick updates. We just held our annual uh, convocation earlier this month in which pastors and leaders from throughout North America gathered to do some of the, uh, the necessary business of the church. As of last year, we moved to an every other year in-person event, and this year was that every other year uh, opposite, so we had an online gathering. You can go on our website and see what, uh, see what uh, the kind of things we did, as well as learn a little bit more about what's going on in the NALC. I think you'll enjoy, enjoy seeing it. If you do, I'd call your attention to a 21-minute video summary that hits on some of the highlights of what we've been doing and some of the challenges and, and opportunities we face. I believe it gives not only an accurate, but also an uh, accurate, but also an honest presentation of where we are as a denomination, soon to be finishing next week our 12th year as a church body. That means that beginning next month, we move into our teenage years. So any prayers you can send our way would be more than welcome. As far as the overall health of our denomination is concerned, um, we continue to grow, not rapidly, but steadily. We went from 450 to 475 congregations this past year, added, added another 23 or 4 uh, pastors to our roster. Uh, most of our congregations and pastors are doing well. A lot, of, a lot of adjustments, as you know, during these last couple of years with the pandemic, but, but good ministry is still happening and lives being touched and changed. Now, in most cases, uh, worship attendance is somewhat down from where it was, and, and there are still our people who are hesitant. At the same time, the support is there, and the opportunities for witness have only become greater. I continue to encourage pastors and congregations to not overthink it, and certainly not to take it personally, but to continue loving their people, reaching out in the communities and sharing the faith, and to never forget that in the midst of all of it, God has never stopped working. <laughs> right? Even though on our end and from our perspective, a lot of things have been put on hold, the kingdom of God is never on hold, and the work of the Holy Spirit never stops. That's where we need to keep our focus, and that's ultimately where we find our strength. As far as some of the highlights, I'll mention just a few things. We're moving forward with our denominational vision, working to find creative and yet faithful ways to serve our congregations and expand the ministry that's already there. We now have five seminaries in our North American Lutheran Seminary Network, 
and we're working to add a sixth and we hope a seventh in the not-too-distant future. We also just hired Dr. David Louie, I don't know if you would know that name or not, to fill one of the key faculty positions on our staff, a very well-known and highly respected systematic theologian. I believe he's 39 years old. He's just top of the, top of the class as well. He comes to us in many ways as an answer to prayer. And we just, as of this past week, brought on a full-time recruiter to help us find and encourage and guide the discernment process for what we certainly hope and pray will be the next generation of pastoral leaders. With that in mind, and I'd encourage you, if not challenge you, to be challenging and encouraging those here at St. Timothy's in whom you see some gifts from ministry to give that calling serious consideration. I, I continue to believe that it's the responsibility of every congregation if we expect to have pastors serving us when we have a need to be raising up pastoral candidates who can serve the greater church. We need to be raising the bar on our collective efforts if if we hope to stay ahead of this ongoing and, and really increasing need. Along with the training of pastors, we're also taking steps to put in place an NLC diaconate, training lay people for some important ministry functions within their congregations. At the same time, we're on the front end of implementing what we're calling ordination under special circumstances. It's a path to ordination in which the circumstances, either of the congregation, rural, smaller, unable to afford a full-time pastor, or the one considering the ministry as a second career later in life, unable to commit to four years of full-time education, are special enough where an alternative and maybe even a shorter path might be more appropriate. All those things I'd ask you to keep in your prayers uh, to expand and strengthen our efforts. Two other things I'll mention, then we'll get into our, our message today, both related to actions of last year's convocation, are the fact that, one, we now have put in place five area assistants to the bishop, whose role it is to serve the mission district deans and pastors in a supportive and discipling relationship. It's a move on our part. We need to model, we need to model with our staff what we hope to see happening in our congregations in terms of that discipling discipling work. The five that were chosen were installed at our pastor's conference in February, began their work in May, and we're already seeing a, a number of um, a good, good, much, much good discipling fruit being born from those efforts, and for that we give thanks. And then two, we're finally moving forward after quite a bit of just juggling and moving, long, long story there, but uh, moving forward and establishing a central office for the North American Lutheran Church in the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area. It's taken us a while to get there, but it's beginning to take shape. At this point, we have a temporary site picked out for where we're going to begin in the fall of this year with a more permanent home yet to be determined. Our general secretary, Pastor Amy Little, is already there. We'll soon have a full-time administrative assistant on board. We're we're looking to fill a key communication position. Our finance functions are going to run out of that central office. And as of the middle of next month... Mary and I will be transitioning to the greater Dallas-Fort Worth area and and setting up our home uh, in, in, in a place called Grapevine. We're committed to living there for 12 months, and at that point we will see where God leads. All of that to say, in spite of the many challenges we face in our our world and our culture today, there are all there are many good things happening in the NALC. We serve a great God. 
We work hard at serving and following and trusting our Lord Jesus. It truly is an honor to be with you today. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this day of worship and for the chance to gather around your word. Open our hearts to sense your presence. Open our ears to hear your voice. And open our minds that we might be transformed by the one who came to save. In his name we pray. Amen. Let's get right into it. The passage we read today, taken from the fourth chapter of Luke's Gospel, is one that gives us a good look, if not a summary, of the kind of things with which Jesus was involved during his three and a half years of public ministry. It hits on some of the main areas in which he spent his time, as well as on the various ways in which his ministry impacted the lives of of the people. It also, perhaps most importantly, helps us to see and understand what was at the heart of our Lord's ministry, as well as what was in his heart as it was being carried out, and how it makes a difference and ultimately matters to us. If you remember the details, it's, it's quite the story. In the town of Capernaum, it begins with Jesus teaching on the Sabbath in the synagogue. A major part of our Lord's ministry was his teaching. He was a good teacher. He was a great teacher. The people says they were amazed at his teaching because he taught with authority. Now, if nothing else, this part of the story gives us encouragement in the same way to be students of our Lord, regularly sitting at his feet and taking in what only he can give. The reality is we shortchange ourselves. We do ourselves and our families and our congregations a disservice if we neglect this crucial and essential part of what it means to be his followers. The truth is, you simply cannot be a faithful disciple, growing each day in your ability to trust, learning each day what it means to be a follower, if you fail to spend time sitting with and learning from the Lord. We need to be fed if we are going to feed others. We need to listen and learn from Jesus if ever we're going to be able to speak and share what he's done for us with the world. Bottom line, we need to take this lesson to heart. Now, we're not going to spend a lot of time with this. There's a lot in our text to cover. Suffice it to say this morning that teaching was a central part in our Lord's ministry. Listening and learning from him needs to be central in our faith walk as well. From there, it says Jesus casts out a demon. This man who had been possessed was set free. This man who had been controlled by an outside power and evil spirit was freed from that power and given back control of his life himself. And again, it says the people were amazed at what the Lord could do. Now, if this part of the story seems a bit removed from where things are at in our world today, don't be too quick to draw that conclusion. There are a lot of demons in the world today even if they take on and are given a different form or name. You might want to think about it as in the story it was demon possession. Sometimes demons can come in the forms of obsession. In that sense, anger is a demon. Selfishness is a demon. Pornography is a demon. Some demons come in the form of addictions. Some demons are abusive. 
Some demons grow out of our mistakes or experiences from the past. Some demons are, uh, find their way into things happening in the present. Demons or, or the demonic can even be found these days honor more positive, thing, more positive things like social media. Every chance they get. Now you can call them what you want. They might not appear as the same as the ones in the story. But they're just as real and they can do just as much harm and control a life just like they did with this man in the story we read. The good news is, Jesus can cast out demons. He can free you from those demons. I'm not assuming anything here today, but if there's anything there in your life needing to be addressed, this story is a good reminder that there is help. All it takes is a willingness to reach out and to ask. Our Lord is there. And he's willing, and he can set people free today just like he did back then. It's not as removed as we might think. It's quite the story. After that, it was Peter's mother-in-law who was sick with a fever. It's the first physical healing miracle we find in Luke's gospel. Now, what kind of fever she had, it's, it's hard to know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It must have been something quite serious, perhaps even malaria, because uh, otherwise it wouldn't have been mentioned. From there it says, when the sun was setting, the people brought to Jesus all who had various kinds of sickness. And laying his hands on them, he healed them. Now, the application and, and connection here is obvious. All throughout his ministry, healing was a major part. Read through the Gospels. Wherever Jesus went, whatever he was doing, he always stopped, made time to heal. He's the great physician, the Bible says. He's the one who can make people well. He made the lame walk. He he gave the blind their sight. He gave speech to the dumb, hearing to the deaf. He cured, he mended, he healed. And not only did he do these things, but he still does these things, even today. I hope you know that. I trust you know that. Every every form of healing that comes in this life is a healing that comes only by the grace and the goodness of God. My friends, don't ever wonder about the desire of Jesus to bring healing into your life. Don't ever worry about, about whether our Lord is aware of what's happening and whether or not he cares. Jesus not only cares about your life and about my life, but also has the power to bring healing like like no other. We can be confident and assured. And then it says, and here's where we get to the heart of what this passage is all about, it says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. He went out and found a place to pray. Now the people kept coming. They wanted to see and to hear from him and wanted him to do more. But he says he kept on moving, he kept on going. He went on to other cities and towns and synagogues all throughout Judea, preaching and teaching the good news of the kingdom because that is why he was sent. That is why he was sent. Now let's stop again for a moment and let me ask you a question. All kinds of things Jesus did all kinds of ministries in which he was involved, teaching and healing and casting out demonic forces. The people were amazed and the crowds continued to gather. But it says he kept on moving. He kept on going. 
And the reason he did it says because because there was something more important to which he was called, an even greater purpose for which he was born. Let me ask you, raise your hand if you've ever prayed for healing, prayed for healing and it turned out the way that you had hoped and prayed. Raise your hand. You prayed for healing and the healing came, all right? All right. Now, raise your hand if you've ever prayed for healing and it didn't happen. You prayed for healing and the healing never came. All right? Now, if you raise your hands in both cases, you're in good company. Because God doesn't promise to heal us every time we ask. There's not a person who's ever lived, every time they've asked, have received, who's received the healing uh, for which they prayed. It's never happened. And it probably never will. And why? Because it's not a promise God made. It's not a promise he's given. Now, why is that? Is it because he doesn't care? Of course not. We've already said that he does. So, so why doesn't he heal us every time we ask? Because Jesus didn't come into this world to heal. Jesus came into this world to save Jesus didn't come into this world to make us better. Jesus came into this world to make us whole. Again, remember the story? Not far into Luke's gospel, and there were more people lining up for healing than Jesus had time to give. Now, could he have stayed in that city and kept on healing? He could have, but he didn't, because it's not why he came. It's not what his life was all about. Luke tells us he got up early in the morning and he prayed. Now, what was he praying about? We don't know. All we know is what happened next. And what happened next? Instead of hanging around Capernaum and setting up a clinic, Jesus gathers his disciples together and continues to do the things he came into this world to do. He preached, he taught. He pointed people in the direction of God, and it says he kept on preaching, kept on teaching, kept on pointing back to his Father all the way to the cross. Talk about clarity of purpose. Talk about being clear about why you're here. Jesus stayed focused in life. And how did he do it? He got up early in the morning and he prayed. He prayed. He listened to what his father had to say, and he kept that focus all the way through his life, all the way until his death. How many Christians start out on the right track, but along the way end up losing their focus? How many followers of Jesus get busy with other things and forget to take time to pray? They get sidetracked with all kinds of commitments, and fail to make time to read God's word. Simplifying it, they get so busy with living that in the process, they lose sight of the meaning of life. Let me tell you something. Do you know what Satan wants? I probably said this in my 25 years, probably nothing I didn't say in 25 years, but do you know what Satan wants? Do you know what he wants? He wants a busy Christian. A busy Christian. He wants Christians so busy with so many things that they forget about the things that finally count. Do you know what God wants? Satan wants a busy Christian. Do you know what God wants? God wants a focused Christian. God wants wants a follower of Jesus who understands why she's here and what his life on this earth 
is all about. A focused life is an effective life. In fact, the more focused you are in your Christian life, the more effective you will be in your Christian life and your witness. The disciples were busy. They saw many things needing to be done, and there were. Jesus was focused with one purpose and priority that he placed above everything else. Let me tell you something. Here's a confession. If I had been Jesus, it would have been very tempting to hang around and continue to heal. After all, people's lives were being changed. People's hurts and pains were being taken away. And not only that, but the popularity polls were moving in the right direction. The whole town was rallying around Jesus. But I'll tell you something else. If that would have happened, the people might have found healing for their bodies, but they never would have found healing for their souls. They might have been relieved of the physical ailments facing them in life, but they never would have been cured of the spiritual separation facing them in death. Now, did that mean that Jesus loved the people less because he decided to move on to the next town and stay focused upon the cross? Of course not. Does that mean that God loves us any less when he decides not to give us the physical healing in life for which we long? but to call us instead to a living faith and a spiritual healing that ultimately leads to an eternal life with him? Not a chance in the world. God doesn't love us any less. If anything, it's a sign that he loves us more. We could talk about this all day. I don't know why God acts as he does. I don't know. And I don't want to pretend this morning that I do. What I do know is that God continues to heal people even today. What I do know is that God cares deeply about what's happening in your life and he wants nothing more than to have you eternally as his child. And what I do know is that those who look to Jesus, who place their trust in him, will find the healing and strength and wholeness that only he can give. So let me close with this. On the occasion of my visit with you here at St. Timothy's, a few weeks away from the beginning of your fall ministry season, today's story is a powerful reminder of the difference Jesus can make in life and the reason he has called us together as he has in the church. His teaching, his healing, his ability to cast out the demonic and set people free, it's as real for us today as it was for the people back then. Trust it. Believe it. Put your faith in your life in his hands. He loves you and cares about you more than you might ever know. But don't ever forget why Jesus came into this world. Don't ever forget what your and my and our world's greatest need is. Jesus didn't come to heal us. He came to save us. He didn't come to make us feel better. He came to call us to faith in him and to make us whole. My friends, Jesus knows your struggles. He knows your life. He knows the things you face. And that's why he came. That's why he died. And that's why he rose again. For you and for me. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you and we praise you for the work you have accomplished for us in Jesus and for the hope and the assurance and the certainty we have in him. 
We thank you for calling us as your people and for choosing us to be your messengers in this world. Help us as we live out our faith to stay focused on the things that count. Fix our eyes on Jesus. Shape our hearts to be formed and conformed to the heart of Christ. Fill us with faith. Assure us of your love that our witness to the world might be centered in Jesus and that our hope in this life and for the next would be securely rooted and grounded in Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.